This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The Discourse, a short-form, one-on-one interview podcast with filmmakers, actors, and other industry folks, hosted by myself, Mike D'Angelo. On today's episode, Playlist Editor-in-Chief Rodrigo Perez sits down with actress Elle Fanning, who had a banner year of great projects from The Girl from Plainville and Season 2 of The Great, both of which are excellent and are currently available on Hulu. For those that don't know, The Great follows Catherine the Great's rise to power in 18th century Russia after marrying Peter the Great. Of course, Elle Fanning plays Catherine the Great and Nicholas Holt plays Peter. They are both fantastic, and the show is this wry, machine-gun speed satire that's knowingly and purposefully taking liberties with history. It's so, so good. And The Girl from Plainville is on the other side of the spectrum. It's inspired by a true story of Michelle Carter's unprecedented texting suicide case. And it's a miniseries, and it explores Carter, again, played by Elle Fanning, and her relationship with Conrad Roy and the events that basically led to his death and later her conviction of involuntary manslaughter. So, again, both are very much worth your time, and Elle turns in completely different performances, so watching them both really gives you an idea of the massive range this young woman has, and she's clearly only just starting to assert herself as one of our great actresses. Uh, Okay, before I shoot you over to our interview, I've got to tell you that The Discourse is a part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes The Playlist Podcast, Bingeworthy, both of which I'm a part of, also Be Real, Deep Focus, The Fourth Wall, and more. It can be heard on iTunes, Anchor FM, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere else you find your favorite shows. Follow us on iTunes and you'll get this podcast as well as our other shows regularly. Be sure to subscribe and drop us a comment or a rating as we do very much appreciate it. Okay, here's Rodrigo's conversation with the delightful and oh-so-talented Elle Fanning. Uh, How's everything? It's great. Yeah, really good. Good, good. So, uh, you know, we'll talk some some great and we'll talk some girl from Plainville. Um, But I'd love to start with the great, which um, 
cool. I started rewatching some of it again because um, it'd been a while. But it's such a such a delicious and wicked show. Tell me about the, if you can, the origins a little bit because I think one of the things that is interesting to me is that I believe was it not a show that um, you had like the lobster had not come out yet, and I feel like the lobster is a good tonal key point for people who may not know what the show might have been about. Yeah, yeah, or the favorite. Is that what you're thinking? Oh, yes, the favorite. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's still your <laughs> Yes, both your yes. yes, yes. Yeah, that's true. I mean, so Tony McNamara, who he wrote the favorite as well, yes. The Great had actually been a play that he right. had put on in Australia years mm-hmm. before. And I think he had, the first thing that I read of the story was actually a screenplay. Yes. Um, so there was hopes of it possibly becoming a movie at some point. And I actually think that your ghost even read that screenplay before they had started writing the favorite. So this story had had been around for a while. And then when I read the pilot script and, you know, started, Tony came to me and asked me if I wanted to play Catherine, which was kind of like the best gift I've ever received to (laughs) have, like have this, literally this genius piece of writing kind of fall into my lap and me getting to to be a part of it and getting to say yes, um, it was a really automatic yes. But I really didn't have, you know, I didn't have anything to compare the tone or the sense of humor to because it is so specific. Um, But it's very right up my alley in in Mm. that in that sense. So yeah, I didn't have the favorite to watch before, but I was so I mean, Tony's writing is like you were saying earlier, it is so delicious. And Mm -hmm. so the rhythm of it is so specific. I think also we're we've seen this a lot more recently now but I think seeing the period you know kind of turned on its head and him telling the story in an in an you know unhistorical way actually we kind of pride ourselves on being historically inaccurate but that's the fun (laughs) of it and and the parameters and you have so much more freedom in being able to I don't know imagine what it was like for Catherine back then but not be held down to boring facts (laughs) you know sometimes um even though there are a lot of things that that are historically true that um tony incorporates but he might not tell them in the the same chronological order that it happened or you know there's kind of he'll hear things that catherine did and be like "Mm, that's interesting maybe i can try to find a way to put that in but we're not you know held to the history books so much so yeah i guess that's how it started for me but i I got to come on and be a producer and um yeah for the first season we had to go out and pitch and um finally you know hulu we found our home at hulu Mm -hmm. which just has been the best marriage but yeah it also kind of started my journey as being able to be behind the camera a bit more and i felt like the first season like Catherine, was growing with her voice i as l was really growing in in my voice and opinion and, and being in rooms that i wouldn't necessarily be in and learning to speak up and have a say. So Catherine really like this character has taught me so much personally, and it is a really special show, like in, in special time in my life. I, I can feel that it's, you know, not yeah. it, just <laughs> like Catherine is growing at the same time too. Right. Like, yeah, completely her journey. Like, you know, she's, she's so, she comes from such a, a great, it's funny how the, like the, what this stuff, how it, makes things in a modern kind of context in a way like she comes with such great ideas of love and empathy and idealism and all of that is so crushed so quickly (laughs) yeah completely I yeah she definitely I think what I love so much about her is her constant like romantic you know she's very romantic and her constant kind of optimism that could be you know misconstrued as 
maybe naiveness. I think at times, yeah. maybe especially in season one, it was a bit, but she, yeah. um, she always has a plan, you know, she's deaf, she's thrown into this, this marriage that she thought was going to be her great love. And she's kind of married, all right, I'm married to this tyrant leader. And so how do I fix this? And really, especially in the first season, but she learns like her great love instead of it being a man was really a country and um, getting to, for that coup to finally kind of came to fruition. But this, um, I, I would say like the, the first season was a, the A to B kind of climax of the arc of her story. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I, I understand that. And then the second season, she is so all over the place, which was so much it was just like it's so fun to play because you actually don't know what to expect from her because I think I think she's even questioning herself as a leader and trying to figure out if she's the right person for the job you know she doesn't always have the right answers or necessarily know completely I think she has so many very progressive ideas but she's trying to um she has this time frame this kind of the baby we looked at as like the ticking time bomb it's like her pregnancy she's trying to get all of her ideas in before she gives birth but also trying to change a country that doesn't necessarily want to listen to her um as a woman and also maybe doesn't even want to change at all so tony plays with that so especially in the second season it's like the the states are (laughs) <laughs> way higher I would say. right and all of that extremely relevant right like it feels like in this way that mirroring today without trying to be obvious about it in any way you know yeah of course I mean I think you know as we definitely see time and time again but um history certainly repeats itself right. and no. these themes are certainly modern ones that we're dealing with one of the lines I love so much that sort of sum up the show to me both the idealism and the comedy is is the idea that like I think your character says that reason and compassion can win any argument better than violence. And mm-hmm. the the reality is like, well, the, or the comedy of it is like, well, maybe not. <laughs> not necessarily. I know, which I think also, you know, Catherine, she's, she learns that in a harsh way. I think at the end of season two, where, you know, wow. she's so against bloodshed and, wow. and violence. Wow. And um, that's kind of the beauty of her. Like her soul is so pure in that way. But then she had to, unfortunately, she had to kill a man. So she's getting, especially going into season three. I was actually literally just reading one of um, the second episode of the season because we're about to go film um, right when I called you. So um, she's grappling with that decision. And if she can be this kind of pure ruler and never get her hands dirty, which I don't think. Right. I don't think she can, you know. Absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? Yeah, complain. And I think also something that Nick and I talk about a lot is that I think that, you know, she was trying to suppress her feelings for Peter for so long is be- because she didn't want to be like him. But I think right. that they're so much more similar to each other than she wants to realize. Um, and even in season two, I felt like Catherine in a lot of ways would like take on the cadence or the way that Peter was, which is really mm-hmm. funny to me. Like even Nick would look at me and be like, you're like kind of turning into like a tyrant, like a tyrant <laughs> ruler, um, which is fun to play. She can't help but love him. He's weirdly the only one who understands her. Right. Which is so right. ironic. Yeah. Uh, this must be so much fun to play and to act uh, working with Nick and, and the whole thing. I mean, it, it's so much fun to watch, but I got to imagine just like performing it out is delicious as watching it. It's so much fun. Yeah. I mean, our, you know, we our ensemble, the whole cast, we're really, really really close especially in this you know we filmed during the pandemic right the second season that was nine months it took a bit longer than normal um and I would say you know this show is it is very light and fun but 
it's not an easy show to shoot. I, everyone really has to be on their A game. There's so much memorization. It's like going home and we have like homework every single night. We have to be word perfect um, with the dialogue and it's a challenge. It's just, you know, the costumes and, and be, you know, getting ready each day. You have two hours and you're in these corsets and you're in these worlds, which is, it's, you think, oh, wow, it's so glamorous, but it's a real challenge. So I think to have people that understand what you're going through and supporting each other like we all do, um, we're so lucky. And, and of course, to get to play out these scenes that are kind of once-in-a-lifetime scenes, like there are moments, especially with Nick and I, when we have this kind of breakfast table scenes and we're really going back and forth at it and and we can challenge each other and um they're they're like my favorite like spitballing back and forth and um just being wild and and upping the ante with each other so we work in a really similar way and we're extremely close and so I think with all of us it's like we've kind of gotten past the point of like embarrassment with each other like you can't especially with comedy I've learned like you can't be embarrassed to just go for it and so we're all really game and I think especially in the second season we learned like we found our tone and we really found how far we can push it which is really pretty far so we were raring to go especially since we couldn't really hang out with anyone else we were in this like COVID bubble so being on set and our parties on set were kind of like the social interaction (laughs) the only social interaction we had so we took advantage of those party scenes (laughs) for sure um tell me about just like I mean, you know, you guys are brilliant in this, but I don't think either of you had been really known for this kind of like, you know, rat-a-tat kind of comedy kind of thing. Like, tell me about mm-hmm. being cast about that. Or, and did you think about it first? Like, like this is amazing, but I've never done this maybe? Like, I don't know. How did you feel about, like, how, how do you see it? Yeah, I guess I hadn't, um, I definitely hadn't done a comedy like this or really ever. I mean, of course they're in things. You're like, oh, that's yeah. a joke. Yeah. Or like, you have yeah. to, yeah. you know, hit the punchline, but never as much as um, we have to do in this show. So that was something I had to get used to. I mean, I think Nick, I would say it's a little bit more of his pocket. Like I, I think he's like a modern, like Hugh Grant of our time, <laughs> like it's fitting for him. Um, and he's really, he's also British and has that humor and yeah. um, he's really good with the rhythm and he can really do things very fast. And so kind of getting on his rhythm, he was, it was really helpful um, with that with me but yeah I, I it was something that I had to learn it was a muscle that I like flexing it over and over every day you start yeah. to realize like oh this is this is what it needs to be and, and weirdly oddly enough with this it's always it just needs to be faster <laughs> it's like if it's not working just say it quicker <laughs> it's funny because you were saying like learning the ropes of comedy but like you're learning the ropes of like I would say like you know rapid fire like it's super accelerated yeah, it is like like bringing a baby comedy. or something you yeah. know like that film like when they're yeah. just going back and forth um the screwball yeah, kind of energy totally Totally. And like, weirdly, I think there's a big like physical comedy element in the Mm. second season with the, which I was kind of excited about, but knowing that I would be pregnant the second season, um, I was excited to play with the physicality of that or like, you know, being able to cut a high tension scene with like Catherine waddling away or, you know, just, um, just the juxtaposition, um, with those things and, and her, you know, having a big political discussion while, you know, having pregnancy cravings for dirt or rusty nails or the, that that was, you know, Tony's genius writing that in, but also, I don't know, having that to, to lean into was fun for me the second season. So I, I, I guess this specific comedy is kind of, I don't know, the, the only 
type I've done. So, but it, it, is, it feels more like theater. Right. Um, no, I've never done theater, but like every, like a lot of our cast is from the theater. So they really, because like our, all of our scenes, like we'll have like 11 page scenes that we will just <laughs> go from beginning to end wow. and like play it all out. So it does feel like a play a lot of the time. And you're like, Whoa, like after you get it, we're all like high-fiving right. each other and feeling yeah. so proud that we made it through. <laughs> I imagine. Yeah. That's going to be hard. Um, yeah. And then, and then so like switching gears to like something like completely uh, tonally different, the girl from Plainville, how, how, yeah. do you, how do you do that? And, and man, where did you find the time to do both of those during a pandemic? Or I know. Well, it's wild because I actually, between the second season of The Great and filming Plainville, I had two weeks in between. Wow. <laughs> so there was not a lot of time in between. Um, and Plainville was kind of that project that I knew was looming. Mm. Um you know, but during, while filming The Great, you just don't have enough brain capacity or space to think <laughs> about anything else. Like, it's just not possible. Right. It really takes up so much of your time. So Plainville, I hadn't really, I was like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna think about that yet. Like, I, I, I need to just focus on this. And, and um, I went back to LA for, yeah, the two weeks and started to, to start slowly thinking about it more. And we filmed in Savannah. And when I, flew out there. Um, it was really getting, they had a lot of materials, um, that, you know, resources. I had all the text messages between Michelle and oh. Conrad, yeah. um, that I got to read, which were really an, an intense read, but also such an insight into their relationship because they only met a handful of times. So, right. um, these texts were really, that was everything they had. And you could really see the, I don't know, it also felt at the same time. Yes, it was very haunting, but also very silly and open and like a real teenage relationship of these two people that were telling each other their deepest, darkest secrets and had these kind of word games that they would play. And so there was a lot in there. Um, but I, you know, this, this project was something that I was kind of tentative to sign on to in the beginning, you know, sure. I think, yeah. yeah, this, especially with a story like this, it's yeah. can easily be really sensationalized and kind of romanticized and not, I wasn't interested in, in telling the story if we weren't going to have something new to say, you know, obviously there had been a documentary and there, right. um, the Esquire article that, that the show is based on as well was out there. But I think being able to show this from a perspective that the media really didn't at the time and dive into more of Conrad's life and who he was and um, his family's grief. I think, you know, Chloe seven is just so, she's so amazing at showing that, journey of of the pain and grief that she's her family's going through but again it's like you know these people are alive and these families are alive and a you know a young man's life was was taken and you have to be aware of that um, yeah the responsibility right like sort of and and the whole idea of like I'm, I'm assuming like you're, you're already kind of hinting at it the idea of like you know we don't want to be exploitative we, we want to be ethical as, as as much as we can when telling this kind of story these are real people yeah. involved for sure. Yeah, I think and all of us were really, you know, I um, like like kind of before signing on, I had a lot of different conversations with everyone involved. And um, ultimately, I got to be a producer on that as well, which mm -hmm. adds more of a responsibility and, and a pressure to that. But I think that we were also on the same page of wanting to make something that had the same message as well of, you know, young people today, especially when dealing with technology, it's um, why this case I think is so fascinating and so riveted the nation in the way that it did is because it's the first generation that we saw the results of 
this um, the era of phones and and text messaging, it's really the first big story of that. It's there because I guess it was in like you know 2012, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Um, that's you know kind of the height when people you know kids started to get phones and really had these relationships and um, and Facebook and you know these yeah. identities online and whatnot, which I think we're still trying to navigate that that world and it's so easy to bully online and behind a screen you can really be anyone you want to be and and kind of playing with the blurred lines of fantasy and reality which i think our show does really well yes. um was, was a big thing yeah wonderful uh elements there that act as like sort of magical realism and fantasy and also maybe a light touch that that uh that adds mm-hmm. in, like light humor to some of the scenes like god some of those moments are I find transcendent. <laughs> oh, wow. Thank you. Yeah. I definitely, when I told people, I was like, oh yeah, you know, I'm training for my musical number. That's going to be in the girl from Plainville. People are like, what? <laughs> that was definitely not expected. Um, so yeah. I, and I, but like, again, the, the, you know, the texting fantasies that we also got to have, I think were so important because even I was wondering, I'm like, okay, how are we going to show texting on screen? Because that is just going to be boring if we're just watching people on a couch, you know, texting back and forth. But Liz and Patrick, our showrunners came up with a device to have us in the same room and talking to each other in these texting fantasies. So you could see their relationship build. And also as an acting challenge, it was interesting because normally you're always trying to, you know, listen to your fellow actor and, and read their emotions. And in this case, in this, these scenes, we talked about a lot with Colton and I of playing opposite emotions or not being able to not connect and was all about the disconnection in those moments, which was a, you know, interesting exercise. Um, (laughs) An interesting through line I'm sort of hearing through both of these projects. And it makes me think of like you and a lot of actors today is that like complexity, like both of these shows the length, the depth, it allows you so like, I mean, everything you just explained about the show, you basically explain the whole thing and all the layers, but like you wouldn't have that in a, in a film, like you wouldn't have time. So I guess my, my question is like, like you could done so much rich depth, depthful television with all this character stuff. What happens when you go back to a movie and, and, and you don't have that time? Like, I feel like a lot of people are maybe experiencing that in the last little, in the last couple of years, especially maybe the last two or three. Yeah, that'll be interesting. I know I haven't like, I know I haven't done a film in a while, um, but it is so drastically different. I mean, having, you know, two hours versus like 10 hours yeah. to tell your story and, yeah. and create your character's arc. I think yet yeah, TV is kind of the actor's medium in a way because it's your yeah. luxury. It's like you have the luxury and the time to flesh out each moment of your character and not have it kind of washed over, you know? Um, Yeah, that'll be fascinating. I don't know. I have to, I mean, I think it'll be nice to do a film again that's like, you know, an indie film that's like, it only, the days where it's like, it only took like six weeks. You're like, whoa, like it's over. (laughs) Um, It's definitely. Now you're doing marathons. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. This is, um, yeah, this our TV world. It's like, six months of of your time but then there is you know beauty in that too like you said so I don't know I mean the approach is the same but it's always yeah. about time right <laughs> it's but like you never have enough <laughs> in general like the stuff that you're reading these days are you like to me like there's this whole renaissance on television right now with like you know the adult drama is kind of on television and oh yeah uh, and and so like of what you're reading like it, does that fair to say that like that renaissance is, is is true just in terms of scripts or are you just so busy reading like 
you know, the great mostly these days. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, there's a couple of things. I mean, my sister and I, we started a production company yeah. and, you know, we're, we're getting to produce together and look at materials and stories. And I think also a big part of having a company like that is you have to decide if, if there's a book or an article that you like, like, is it, is what's going to serve it the best? Is it going to be a film? Is it going to be a show? And a lot of the time it might not have enough to hold a whole show. You know, you need to really be like, you, you need to, to kind of know that and know when it's time. It's like, mm, I think this just needs to be like a film or, or, or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm reading kind of a plethora of both, but it's, um, I think it's definitely changed for me from like, I had never really read TV shows before the great or like had that. And then now after that, it's like such a, Oh, this is a limited series. Like, cool. I'll check it out. Or like, it's just, you know, um, TV is really, there's so much there now. Cool. Cool. Well, um, I'll let you go in a sec. Just, I mean, do you have a taste to tease anything of we can expect from the great season three? Like, I mean, there's so many interesting twists and turns and, and like you said, you're a producer, you have a voice. Um, yeah. <laughs> tell me about any of that, how, how you're injecting it in there and, or, or however you want to, you know, tee it up. Yes. I mean, there is, there is a lot. Tony's someone who writes as he goes along. So I still don't know the complete, right. the complete arc of where it's going to go, but I do think that you're going to have to see Catherine and Peter. They're finally going to be a married couple and try to figure that out um, of what that means to kind of be together this season. And we'll see if that works for them or not. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, once again, best of luck. I adore the show. It's so good. Um, it's so Thank you. Wickedly delicious. And uh, yes, the girl from Plainview- Plainville is amazing too. So best of luck with everything. And I and, uh, can't wait to see more. Oh, thank you so much. Okay. Bye. 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 bye.